Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Today I want to talk to you about open hearts. Open hearts. There's some things in our lives that we're just naturally open to, you know, like red meat, good salsa, bagels and cream cheese. I mean, those are just natural things that I'm just really open to, right, Jill? Thank you for nodding. Um, you know, I, there, but there's some things that we take a little bit of, of help with. Um, you know, when, when sushi became a really hot thing a few years ago, like 10 years ago, whenever that was, and everybody thought that, you know, sushi is, you, if you're going to have fun, you're pretty much, you're going to go get some sushi, you know, that's kind of a thing. I, I really just didn't get it. My heart was kind of closed to that. I thought, why not cook the fish? I don't, I don't understand. What's the deal? It's just fish, and it's wrapped up in stuff. And Until a friend of mine, Brian, a, an old friend of mine, he took me out to lunch. He goes, I got to tell you, I got to show you, I, you have to experience real sushi. And so I said, okay. So he took me out, and uh, we ordered, I don't know what, but then he poured soy sauce on it, and he put some wasabi on it, and he put some, that, that soap that they have, it's called ginger, I think, put that on it, and then you take these two poles. I'm not good with the poles. I like the scoop. So, and, you, and it was really good, and I, I really, my heart became open to sushi from then on. I still would rather cook my fish, but I think it's, it's good too. I think it's, I really like it. But some things, it's, it's like that. Your heart is not really open to them, and it needs to be open to them. Uh, sometimes it's a, it's, a, it's a region, it's a part of the country. You know, I remember when I was uh, working in the oil field, I just really didn't like southern Louisiana. It was swampy, it was a little bit spooky, a little scary, and the people were called, a lot of them were called Cajuns, and I thought they were absolutely out of their minds. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. And, and as a youngster, when you think you know everything in your 20s, no offense to those in your 20s, but you do think you know everything, um, it, I thought, I don't, I don't know why, I don't get it. Until my car died one night in the middle of southern Louisiana, and I was stuck at a McDonald's. Side note, not the worst place to be stuck by, because you can eat a lot of fries in an hour. Um, but I put my hood up, and within 15 minutes, I had like three guys show up in pickup trucks to murder me. No, to, to actually fix my car. And they did. I was going in no time at all. I made it all the way back home into Houston. That experience opened my heart. And I began to love Southern Louisiana, to love the food, to love the lies slash stories they would tell. Uh, so much fun, so interesting, so rich of a culture. But there's some things in life you're like, I'm never going to open my heart to that. I'm never going to do that. One day after service, um, 20 years ago or so, I, a guy comes up to me that I knew well, and I thought was genuinely in his right mind. And he came up to me and he said, you know, Steve, for Pastor Appreciation Month, I want to take you as our guest skydiving. (laughs) 
the thought occurred to me, maybe he doesn't love me as much as I think he does. And I knew in my heart immediately that this was not something my heart was open to. I had already determined what my level or what my things were going to be in my life that were going to be death-defying, right? I'd already filled that card up with stuff like snow skiing and uh, sailing in the ocean and driving on I-95. I mean, those, uh, my, my whole, you know, that was my framework for things that were daring. And, and I just, I didn't need to add another thing. And I said, you know what, I, I, I know you do this for a living and I know you guys are safe and you're probably in your right mind and you probably care, but I'm not doing that. I'm just not. I've already made up my mind. I made up my mind years ago I wasn't going to skydive. I had a roommate who was a skydiver who's still alive today, last I heard. There's some things our hearts are just closed to. There's some things that they can be open to, but spiritually speaking, for us to know Jesus, he has to open our heart. So I want to ask you, as we open this Word of God today, has God opened your heart? Has God opened your heart? Not, not do you know a bunch of stuff, and, and not do you have a tradition, and not that you've thought about it. It, it means, has God opened your heart? Because that's what's going to happen in Acts chapter 16, verse 11 through 15. We're going to See, God opens someone's heart. And I, my prayer to you is today, if you feel God opening your heart, will you receive what he wants to give you? Because sometimes when we come to worship service, we come in and we go, okay, I really am going to enjoy Phil and Marissa and Julie and the gang and Michaela today. It's going to be great. And I'm going to enjoy seeing my friends. And hopefully I'm going to learn how to how to manage my home better or how to put up with my husband better or make them... We think it's going to help, but what if God really wants to do something today in you? Would you be open to that? Would you be open to that? Look with me, Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 11. In this church, we preach the Bible. We preach uh, major sections of Scripture uh, so that we don't get to just pick and choose. We want to know what God's Word says. Amen? So Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 11. The word of the Lord says this. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city some days. Now, here's, the, here's what's happening. Here's the context. If you've been with us, you know that Paul is on his second missionary journey. He's going back through some of the churches that he was able to start and encourage in his first missionary journey. He goes back through Derby and Lystra and Iconium. And then um, in that process, apparently Luke joins him and he has Silas with him and Timothy because Luke starts saying we instead of they. And so he's including himself in the journey. And God prevents them. Remember last week we talked about often God leads us by saying, no, don't go here. And so they go over, they, they try to go to Asia, which is biblically a province in western Turkey. 
And it's also, of course, the continent of Asia, but biblically when it says Asia, that's what it's referring to. And God says no. The Holy Spirit says no. And then they try to go from there. That, from there, they go the opposite direction, which would be northeast, and they come up to Bithynia, trying to get to the, uh, what is now Istanbul region around the Black Sea, heavily populated. This is going to be great. We're going to go there. But the Spirit of Jesus says no. So the only really direction left of them to go home is to go west-northwest, and they go down to Troas. And that's where Paul sees this vision. And it's of a Macedonian man saying, come over here and help us. And Macedonia is in the direction they're already going, the direction God has already kind of pushed them into, and now it's a call to go forward, to go across the Aegean Sea, leaving the continent of Asia 125 miles over to the continent of Europe. And the gospel is being drawn into the West at this point. So they've seen that vision, and they assume that God must be calling us to preach the gospel in the West and to take this huge jump. He'd called, remember, to you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. They're about to go to, to them, which is the uttermost parts of the world, this whole new world, this, this continent called Europe. And so they take a boat and they sail and they sail to uh, Samothrace, which is a, essentially a rock of about 5,000 feet sticking out of the Aegean Sea. It's the halfway point. They spend the night there, probably. And then they head on to Neapolis. They land in Neapolis, and there's the roads called the Via Ignatia. It's a famous highway. And they, they take that up to Philippi, about 10 miles. Fortunately, there was not an Uber available, so they had to carry their luggage and walk the rest of the way, probably. Um, so they get up there to Philippi. And the Bible says they remained there for three days, or for several, for some days. We remained in the city for some days. They have this kind of, we're here, let's see what's going on, let's experience the city. But they're waiting for the Sabbath, as we'll see in a moment. They don't run ahead. They know that the, the pattern has always been to tell the Jewish people first, those who are worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who are looking for this Messiah. And, and Paul's pattern is always go to the synagogue, to the Jewish place of worship first. So they pretty much just show up and they're in this place. Now, let me ask you, have you do you like to wait? I mean, you like to just kind of wait for what's next. Some of us in our culture have a hard time with that. There's no reason to wait. You can get anything delivered. You can go anywhere you want. You can catch a plane. You can get on your phone and know more information than anybody knows in the world or whatever information is known. But they wait. Just know this, that the waiting is important. You may be in a waiting place right now. Be prayerful. Be prepared. Get ready. Because God's very likely about to do something amazing. So they get in the city, and they say, we're in the city for some days. Verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, which would have been Saturday, we went outside the gate of the to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So for a synagogue to exist, now a synagogue is a Jewish place of worship for those who don't live close enough to the temple to, re, to attend on a weekly basis. So they would have these synagogues, and they would gather for prayer, and the scriptures would be read, and their worship would happen. And so 
For a synagogue to exist, there needed to be 10 Jewish men. So it's likely in this place called Philippi, there is no, there isn't 10 Jewish men. Now, Philippi is a Roman colony. So Rome ruled the world at the time. And you can you would either be a colony or pretty much occupied territory. So Philippi is a colony, which means it functioned as, as Rome, essentially. They owned it. It was a part of Rome. It was very, very Roman. There had been a lot of battles there. Uh, Mark Antony and Octavian had battled near there. And so there were a lot of military veterans who had settled in Philippi. It's a, it's a very polytheistic place where uh, many different gods are worshipped. But also, it's a place that didn't really favor Jewish worship, especially monotheism. And they thought it was cultish, limiting, didn't really want it to be a part of the city, so you couldn't typically have worship inside of a Roman colony city like this. And so in verse 13, on the Sabbath day, they went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed to be a place of prayer. And there, it sounds like they don't know for sure, but they do know that if there's any Jews in the area who are worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... They would need to get out of the city, number one, and they would also need a source of water for the ritual purification ceremony they would need to do. It would be a, a, a purification that would happen before worship. Not on, it's kind of similar to baptism, and they would, that was necessary for them to have worship. So Paul and his band of missionaries figured, okay, well, probably this is where they would be. This is the closest point of a river, about a mile away from the city gates. Let's go there on the Sabbath, and let's see if there's anyone coming to pray. So they came, and they sat down, and they spoke to the women who had come together. Interesting. First opportunity for the good news of Jesus to be shared on this new continent called Europe. And it's being shared with a group of women. Now, you know from history, you know from ancient history that women are not really what we would call first-class citizens in the ancient world right? They are often treated as property. If you lost your husband, you lost your ability to eat, essentially. It was very, very dangerous for a woman. Now, things had improved for women quite a bit by this time, but still, humanly speaking, if I'm Paul and his friends, and I'm coming to this new continent, I, I want to spread this incredible message to this whole new continent of Europe, I would really like to have some influential men, some top people, Oh, but that's not how God always works, is it? See, he doesn't need our greatness, does he? He doesn't need your status. He can work through people we don't expect at all. And I love that Luke points out the first time the gospel is shared, God elevates women as the first ones to receive it. I hope that you see that as God's stamp of approval on you ladies. I hope you never feel like second-class citizens in our church or in the kingdom. God loves you, and he sees you as the first ones he needed to share the good news with in this new continent called Europe. Uh, Paul and his band are ready, and they sit down, and they start to share the good news with these people who've come to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not who they would expect. And that's so true how God works. Oftentimes, he shares his moves in people we wouldn't expect. Oh, but it's who he's planned all along 
to share his word, his word with the world. Verse 14 and 15. One who, heard, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household hold as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon them. This woman, Lydia, was something else. First of all, she was from Asia. She wasn't from Philippi. She was from that region that God had told his people to go around, uh, which is interesting. She's from this town called Thyatira, which is one of the seven cities, one of the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3 that, that the whole revelation comes about and, and through them, Thyatira, are all in this region um, of Western Turkey, today's Western Turkey, Thyatira, Pergamum, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, uh, Ephesus, and there's one more. So there's seven of them, and she's from one of those places. It's interesting. She's also a seller of goods, of purple goods, excuse me. Well, also, her name is Lydia, and the, the area of Thyatira is in a region called Lydia which is kind of like sometimes people call you by your home state, like there's Tennessee John and there's Kentucky Julie, and if you just call you by your hometown a little bit, you know. Um, but her name is Lydia. She's a seller of purple goods. Now, purple goods were the most expensive clothing. Think of cashmere. Think of something that's really hard to get. In those days, to get a cloth to be purple, you could only get it from this one shellfish, and there was also uh, a, a rare plant that you could use to make uh, dye to dye cloth purple. So really only the wealthy would have had these clothes. So Lydia was probably someone who was a very successful businesswoman, probably single, either widowed or never married. She'd been able to build a business to meet the needs of the wealthy with purple cloth. Very high-end, high-dollar stuff. And it also says that she had a household and she invites them to come stay with her, which meant she had a, a home that could take on four visitors, four guests. And she had people that worked for her in that household to manage that household. This woman was probably relatively wealthy. But more important than that, she was a worshiper of God. Now that meant in those days, in this context, that she was operating really as she was either Jewish or had been very interested in Judaism, kind of like Cornelius that Peter led to the Lord back in Acts chapter 10. And, and so you see her worshiping this one God and choosing to worship God. But she would have been doing it in a Jewish context. Law, uh, ceremonial cleansing, uh, Old Testament law, keeping a law, sacrificial system. That's the context she would have known about. So she's worshiping all that she knows. But God opened her heart. God opened her heart to what Paul was saying. God said to her, Lydia, you need to hear this. God called her. I wonder what it, what it, how they knew that. I wonder what it felt like. Uh, but you probably have felt that too. When God opens up your heart to hear something, to receive something that he wants to give you. It's a stunning statement that God does this. Notice it doesn't say that God 
invaded her and ripped her heart open and charged right in. It doesn't say that. It says he opened her heart so she could hear what Paul was saying. See, that's how our God operates. He seeks to open hearts so that hearts can receive him. He doesn't force himself into your life. There's always this issue that comes up. Will I allow him in? Will I respond to him? God moved in her heart to alert her that she must not miss what Paul was saying. He opened her heart, but she had to decide would she allow him in. Well, what was it that she needed to be open to? She was already a really good person. She was already obeying the law that she knew. She was already worshiping the one true God. I mean, that's pretty good. What was she missing? She was missing the Jesus that all of this worship had pointed to. This Messiah that had been promised. This one who would come and save her. She was missing the opportunity to say, Jesus, I need your blood to count for my sin. She could have just said, well, this is my tradition. This is how I was raised. This is, I've already answered all those questions about skydiving. I mean about, about God, right? I already know how I'm going to respond. I've already built my life around that. Isn't that enough? And Paul says, listen, Jesus came to pay the price. He's the ultimate sacrifice. You just have to admit that you need him to do that. That you believe he can do that. Personally. Responding to him as he's opened your heart. See, so many people today would say, you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I think I've lived a good life. I've already answered those questions about God and about Jesus. Has God opened your heart? Is your heart open today, even now? goes on to say that Lydia's household, that Lydia was baptized, and we're going to do that next Sunday right here in the 11 o'clock service, that she was baptized, which is an indication that she has repented of her sin, right? Ask Jesus' blood to count for her sin and ask him to save her. And the baptism is that picture of that. It's the demonstration of that. It's the, it's the illustration, the acting out of what's happened to saying, I needed to be cleansed and that's why we baptize people when they're old enough to make that decision and we take them underneath the water to demonstrate dying to who they used to be and raising up to be a new person. So she's baptized and she's got this whole household around her. And this household, they decide we want to be baptized too. You see, how you respond to God's opening of your heart matters to you, but it also matters to those around you. So it's unlikely that those people would have ever come to Christ if Lydia had said no. So there's people you have influence over, and they're watching you. Some people might say, well, you know what, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get saved. Now I've been going to church for 75 years, 50 years. People would think I've been acting all this time, and that I, 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 I'm not, I've been faking it. And listen to me. Don't ever let what people think keep you from Jesus. It's the voice of the enemy. 
It matters for you, but also matters for all the people who would look at you and go, wow, she's been coming here for 100 years, 50 years, 70 years, 80 years, 30 years, 40 years, 10 years. And she realized she needed Jesus and that she never really received him. If she could do it, I could do it. I could do it too. See, that's how you defeat the enemy. You never let pride keep you from doing what Jesus has opened your heart to. Lydia's open heart response affected those close to her. When God opens a heart, it impacts you and it impacts others. Well, you know what? God's still opening hearts today. Maybe today is your day. Maybe it's the first time Maybe as the service has progressed, you've felt this sense of God opening your heart. And you felt, the re- you felt the reality that, you know what, I've been trusting in the fact that I've been a, a Catholic, or I've been, I'm from a Jewish background, or maybe I'm from a Muslim background, or a Hindu background, or maybe I'm even from a Baptist background. Listen, the Baptist background only helps you if it points you to Jesus and your need for him. Amen? I desperately need him to save me. I desperately need his pain on the cross to count for me. That's what I'm relying on. If Jesus were to ask you today, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Would it be because, hey, I've lived better than my neighbors. Hey, I've, I've lived the right lifestyle. I've only sinned a couple times a week on average. Would that be it? Or, hey, I made up for my sin. I've made a good life for myself. I had a sinful time, but I've been... Or, you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm from a certain ethnicity, or I'm an American, or I vote the right way. I treat people good. Or would it be, I have no answer for you, Jesus, except for I'm counting on your blood to count for my sin. And there was a time in my life when I asked you to save me, and you did. That's the only thing that I'm saying. Listen to me. Don't ever rely on your past, on your parents, on your tradition, on your religion, on stuff you know. It's all about Jesus and your personal relationship with him. And I don't care what kind of life you've lived. You may have lived the most amazing life. People may think you're the most wonderful person in the room. But if you haven't asked Jesus to save you personally, individually, and wasn't ever a point in your life when you ask him to forgive you and his blood to count for you, we're not going to see you in heaven. We're just not. I don't want that for you. I don't want you to miss that. See, this morning, it's as simple as saying, yes, Jesus, I'm not worthy. I need you to save me. Don't miss this opportunity. If Jesus has opened your heart, open in your heart, say yes to him today. But also, you know, for some of you, many of you, you've followed Jesus a long time ago, and he opens your heart frequently, doesn't he? When you open his word, you ask him to open your heart. When you're praying, you ask him, God, open my heart. I want to Receive what you want to give me. God, when I'm walking the beach, when I'm 
spending some time alone with you. When I've just gone through a storm, I'm so grateful that you opened my heart to receive what you want me to have. And, you know, sometimes as Christians, we can kind of feel like, well, this is my lane. This is what I do. This is what it looks like. And that's never going to change. Well, listen, God may want to change your life radically this morning. You say, I could never actually share my story of how Jesus saved my life. I just, I just don't think I could do that. Well, let me ask you, do you share any stories? Did you share the story about how you got a special deal on 10 cans of lima beans? I mean, did you tell that story? Did you tell the story about how the Dolphins beat the Browns by 80 points this afternoon? I mean, did you tell that story? It's going to happen. It just hadn't happened yet. We tell stories all the time. If we can't tell the story about what Jesus has done in my life, what in the world are we doing? What in the world are we talking about? See, Jesus came to save. To save. He didn't come to affirm you. He didn't come to say you're doing great. He came to tell you, you're dying and I came to save you. But he may be calling you, believer. You've had the experience. He opens your heart on a regular basis. Maybe today he's opening your heart to say, I, I, you need to talk to somebody about this. Maybe he's calling you to say, listen, you need to be ready to move to another country. Maybe you need to go to Myanmar. Maybe you need to be ready for God to take you to a place where he can use you in a powerful way. And you have no idea how that's going to work. Maybe he's calling you to say, listen, you need to open your heart that you need to live in a context of a community of those who are following Jesus. You need to be a part of a life group. You need to be served. You need to make some friends and be, be intentional about it. There's a lot of people in this room. Today on this campus will be over 200 people here. Surely somebody could be a friend to you. Take a shower. Use deodorant. Whatever it takes. I don't know anybody needs to do that in here. Maybe some of you people online, you need to get off the couch. Um, we're glad you've joined us. Um, Seriously, is God opening your heart today? What is he pouring into it? Will you receive it? Would it be okay with you if God radically changed the lane that you're in? Took you to a whole nother level in your relationship with him? Would that be okay with you? Or is that really terrifying to you? You're trusting him with eternity. Would you trust him with today? And for those of you who you don't know that God's ever opened your heart and you've never received him, would you do that today? Today. You may never have another chance. Don't say tomorrow's another day. You don't know you have tomorrow. And every time we say no to him, we're less likely to ever say yes to him. That's why we do this. Please, don't leave here without Jesus. Let's pray. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.